I think we've all lived long enough in our in our short life, we or longer life, however you want to classify your life, that we have seen the mighty fall. And I think back in preparation of this message of of the different mighty people in this world that I have seen, some I've known personally, some I haven't known. But I think about successful pastors. I think about movie stars. I think about CEOs. I think about athletes. I think about in every area and arena of life, in every category of life, we see preeminent leaders, catalytic leaders, leaders be that kind of just go over the top, that take that area, that arena of life, and they just excel in it. And, and you see that, and, and as that happens, then it's, it, just, it just lets the air out of your bubble, if you will. It just demoralizes you at times whenever you see this mighty individual that, that almost has superhuman skills and perceptions and understandings and, and, and abilities, and, and they fall. And you see that happen, and... And, and how that happens, and I mean, you can see it anywhere in any arena of life. Have you ever heard of this this name, a guy named Ken Lay? Have you ever heard of him? Very successful businessman. You ever heard of Bernie Madoff or Bernie Evers? You know, basically anybody named Bernie, beware of them. Maybe that's the moral of that. I don't know. Um, you think about in the sports arena. You think of the of the Barry Bonds and the and the Michael Vicks that are out there that mighty in their own arenas. Mighty, successful, accomplished. You think of the, the Richard Nixons and the, and the Bill Clintons. You think of the pastors, and I think about early on in my life that impression that, that, that Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart uh, made on my life. It's just a, almost a fear of God that I needed to be very conscious and aware that very successful pastors in ministry can fall very hard. And then lately, even the, the Ted Haggard or the Benny Hinn, and I'm not trying to expose anything that's just not out there. It's just public. It's, it's, it's everywhere. And you think of them celebrities like a Lindsay Lohan who had such promise. And, and it's almost like the Hollywood. She hasn't fallen yet, but the Hollywood is, and the paparazzi are just hanging on her, uh, on her every little uh, uh, move. The, the Miley Cyrus is just waiting for her to fall. And they, they almost want people to fail in this world. Because I don't know if it, it humanizes them or it exalts them or it makes them uh, feel better, but some people in this world, they go up like rockets with such power and such might and such influence, but they come down like rocks. And that's never a pretty sight. It's never something that you want to model your life after. And I, and I think as we go into... This series of messages is kind of this mini-series in between, this radical series. You're going to see some radical elements in, in, involved in this, but the radical thought is definitely a part of, of where we're going. And hopefully you picked up your book and you started reading it and all that kind of stuff. We're going to come back have an entire series on that. But kind of in, as we go into our Global Leadership Summit, I just felt a, a real major urge to, to look at leadership. And, and this is not, again, every area of our lives, there's leadership. Every arena of our life, there's leaders, and then there are followers. And I want to be a leader, and I want you to be a leader, whatever arena of life that you are in. But as you, as you look at, at, at life out there, it says we live in a day when, when character is, it seems to be in high demand, but in short supply. There's just kind of a, a missing element out there, and 
We just kind of roll with it. We kind of go with it. We kind of adjust to it. But Business Weekly did a survey of, of CFOs, chief financial officers, and of a number of leading companies and asked, and they asked them if the CEO, the chief executive officer, had ever asked them to do something illegal that would be considered fraud. This out of Business Weekly, not out of some Sunday school quarterly. It said this, 53% said yes. That their boss had encouraged them to do something that would be fraudulent, that would send them to jail and maybe even their boss to jail. And, and I think about that one in every other CEO out there of leading companies would be doing that. And you think about even the big companies, you think about the smaller companies and character, high demand, but short supply. Os, Oswald, uh, Os Guinness says it like this. He says, talk of character is neither a pious cliché nor a luxury topic that is irrelevant in a day of deadlines and bottom lines. And I think that's a very bold statement and very true. In this day of deadlines and bottom lines, there's almost this push that what's going to, what's going to be the driving force of, of business and life and decisions and, and corporate life or whatever in, in, in business and school and sports? Is it going to be the bottom line? Is it going to be the scoreboard at the end of the game? Or is it going to be something deeper? Character being a major part of that. Even another study that was done asked American people how important character was. And this was back during the Bill Clinton uh, situation fiasco that was going on. And they asked the question of American Newsweek magazine, how important was character in the the Oval Office? And 29% of Americans considered character an important virtue in the office of the president. You think about that, I think only 29% of Americans look at the, that the chief executive officer of America would, would have character. There's a character demand, but there's a short supply. Whenever you find that leaders of companies and businesses and political movements are missing it, and they're compromising, and their integrity is falling way short, and what does it do? Take your Bibles, be finding the book of Joshua. We'll be back in the Old Testament. You'll go past those, uh, those early books where Moses wrote, the Pentateuch as they call them, and you'll find the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 7. And this is a beautiful story of, uh, of a nation really finding success. On the radar of success in the political arena, the nation of Israel was successful. This was a season of accomplishment. This was a time of advancing. I mean, as talk about superpowers, the nation of Israel was the global super, superpower on this day and at this time. And of those, the global superpower leader, the chief executive officer of the nation was a man named Joshua. A man named Joshua was the, was the person who absolutely was the leader of the nation. And as he rises to this, this level of leadership... It doesn't come without its setbacks. Because as the nation is growing and, and, and becoming and taking lands and crossing rivers and, and accomplishing things that only God can enable them to do, it's amazing how in one simple fall of character, the nation is set back. An entire nation because of one man's fall in character wasn't Joshua. It wasn't even the top leader. It was that middle management, if you will. 
that he had a character issue that fell and caused the nation to fall. His man's name is Achan. And Achan was just one of the crew, one of the, one of the mighty men, one of the, one of the soldiers, if you will. But he, as he is there, and the nation has crossed the, uh, the, the River Jordan, and the nation has marched around the walls of Jericho, and the nation has taken land, and now they come to this little pipsqueak town of Ai. They don't even have but two letters to their name. And here they are. They're going to conquer Ai, and Joshua assesses it. He says, listen, we don't need to send very many people. Let's just send a handful of people. They'll go in, they'll take it, and all of us will be sitting back here drinking and sipping in the sun of the promised land. All of a sudden they go in, and it doesn't end like that. They get defeated, and they lose, and they end up chasing them. The Ai, the people of Ai, chase them literally out of the town in an embarrassment to a nation, an embarrassment to God. And what was the problem? Because I can tell you this, that they were riding on the crest of the wave. Joshua's name couldn't have been any more famous. He was feared throughout the land. In fact, look at chapter 6, verse 27. The last verse of, uh, of the chapter. It says this, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. God was famous, Joshua was famous, it was, it was top of the, of the crest of the wave, it couldn't be any better, momentum was on their side. And then you go to the very next chapter, the very next word, it says this, but. Anytime you see but after a great statement like that, it's going to turn. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah. I mean, they're, they're tracing it down to his lineage of the tribe of Judah. Took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. It was because of, it was one moment, in one verse, in one turn of the page, there's this beautiful experience going on in the nation. Success, prosperity, fame, fortune. God's name's great. Joshua's name's great. And then the the turn of the page into a new chapter, the entire nation suffers because of one man's lack of character. It actually blames the entire nation because it's amazing how when one man can bring judgment on an entire nation, can cause an entire nation to fail. Husband cheats on his wife. Does that only affect the husband? Does it only affect the wife? It affects the children. It affects his reputation. It affects any tentacles of where he is and what he's been doing. And it's amazing how one decision of a great, mighty leader can ruin an entire nation, business, company, team, or whatever. But when you look at this passage and you see this, we've got to understand deeper how important character is to God versus character in a culture where 29% of Americans say our chief executive officer doesn't have to have character. And we need to understand that we are out of kelter in this area. We're out of balance in this area. In our day and age, man says sin is an accident, but God says it's an abomination. Man says it's a blunder, but God says it's blindness. Man says it's a circumstances. God says it's a choice. Man says it's a defect. God says it's a disease. Man says it's an error. God says it's enmity. Man says it's a fascination. 
God says it's folly. Man says it's trifle. God says it's tragedy. Man says it's weakness. God calls it a wickedness. How do we view the way we live our lives? What happens with this nation as they fall? Is it all washed up? Do we close the chapter on the book of on the nation of Israel and they fail? No. What they do is they pick themselves up, they deal with it from God's perspective, and they deal with the character issue. And so as you are looking at your life, as you're looking at your business, your team, your organization, as you're looking at your own leadership, how do you deal with a character crisis? And I want us to deal with it according to the way Joshua models for us, the way to deal with character crisis. And you may not be in a compromising character situation right now, but in this fallen world, you will be. And so think about it. Jot down these three things. Three ways to confront character flaws. Number one, pinpoint the problem. Pinpoint the problem. Don't, don't whitewash it. Don't cover it over. Don't excuse it. Don't rationalize it out. If you remember last week when we talked about, we talked about the whole idea of, of radical, and we talked about in the very first quote in the, in the whole idea of radical, and we said that uh, the Hearst uh, couple, uh, Deborah and Alan Hearst said this, that it's a relentless evaluation of life's priorities and concerns. What I have to do and what you have to do, what we have to do together is if we're going to deal with character, we're going to have to look at it boldly and upfront and personal. Pinpoint the problem. Get in there with a scrutinizing kind of way. Now, how do you scrutinize yourself? And how do you scrutinize character? And how do you get real bold in the face of it? You've got to get dirty. And you've got to be willing to get God in on the, the examination part. Because here's the problem. When we're examining somebody else's character, we are really quick and we are really good at pointing out somebody else's character flaws. But when it comes to looking into ourselves and our own heart and our own character and our own life, we are pretty lazy about that. So you've got to do kind of what David did. David did this, and we all know his own ups and downs and and all, but he is was a man, the only man in Scripture who is known as a man after God's own heart. But this is what it says in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Go inside of me, God. Please go inside the depths of my being. Go inside my, 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 my very spiritual being. Go inside where I am and search it out, God. I need your help. Search my heart. Oh God, test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Even go into my head, God, and go in there and check my decisions. Test them. Point out in my life when I am making decisions with rationalization, when I'm making decisions with justification, when I am doing things, God, that are not on the up and up, but I have justified it in my own heart and my own mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way. Where am I going? What am I doing? What's about? See, sometimes we look at our life and we say, I don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with those who do. And we think, I'm okay. We haven't allowed God to go in and check our heart. We haven't allowed God to go in and test our minds. Then it comes to our ways. Then it comes to how we live. 
Then it comes down to the, to the living it out and lead me in the way everlasting. See, we trust our hearts too much, I'm afraid. And our hearts can lead us deadly astray if we haven't thoroughly examined them. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, beyond cure. Who can understand it? Now, what a statement. Our hearts are deceitful. Now, we'd like to think that our hearts are just pure and simple, and if we can just come back to self-actualization, that we will uh, be a good person in the end. And the reality is that that's just not true. And we've got to go in and pinpoint it. We've got to go in and deal with the dirty work. And we can't even trust it. And we are, it's beyond cure. And then it, the next verse says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward a man according to his conduct, according to the deeds he deserves. See, it's going in and doing the heart search with God. Pinpointing the problem with God. It's what Jeremiah talks about. It's what David talks about. It's getting God in on it. In chapter 7 of Joshua, look down at verse 19. Because what they do in verse 19 is they, they begin to isolate the problem. They go person by person. They go tribe by tribe. They go family by family. They go through the ranks. They go through everybody. They're going to find out. They're going to interview who is this, uh, who has brought this on our nation. And in verse 19, it says this, And Joshua said to Achan, so he's gone through a list of people prior to him, but Achan's name is called. It's his turn to be interrogated. It's his turn to be interviewed. It says, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me how you, uh, how, uh, what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And they could answer Joshua and said, Truly, I've sinned. Would you underscore that phrase there? I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. I mean, he spells it out. He names it. I don't know what was going on in Achan's tent at night. I don't know what Achan was thinking about whenever he was on guard. I don't know if he was like second-guessing or what, but all of a sudden Joshua gets a few words out of his mouth and Achan faces his sin. He says, When I saw among the spoil the beautiful cloak of Shinar and the 200 shekels of silver and the bar of gold and, and weighing 50 shekels, and, and then I coveted them and I, and I took them and, and see that they're hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. He spells it out. He hid them. See, there are private places of our own life. Listen, everyone in this room has private places. That you don't even maybe even let your wife go or your husband go. In those private places of your life, maybe only you know what's going on there on earth. But really, God knows what's going on there. He hid this, this spoil that he had taken from Jericho. He had hid that in his tent. He had buried it under it. There's three subtle steps to sin, and you've got to be so abundantly aware of them. As he said here and confesses himself, you see them in these verses. You jot them down real quickly. Number one is that the senses are engaged. He said, I saw. What did he see? He saw this beautiful treasure. He saw silver. He saw Babylonian garments. And he saw they were rare and ornate. He saw all these beautiful things, and all of a sudden he took them. Hey, all of a sudden he saw them, and as, he, as he's seeing them, what happens is there's this Four primary things that happen. 
when, when sin comes into play here. Four categories of sin is silver, self, slothfulness, and sex. That's what happens. Any of these areas, we see them. What happened when we were children and we used to, we used to pray, we used to sing that little song, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Be careful little hands what you touch. Be careful little feet where you go. Be careful little ears what you hear. See, they are children. It's a child song, right? But what we need to do is we need to see that as a personal lifestyle. I'm not going to have time to read Proverbs 4, 20 to 25, but you read it on your own time. But one of the last words of that, of that passage is very beautiful. And it says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. See, what we have to do is we have to be aware that our senses are constantly in this world. And with a deceit, deceitful heart that we have, what happens is our eyes are like the window of the soul. And what happens is they reach out and they grab a hold of something. And we want it and we see it and i and, and, and I got to have it. Which leads me to the second subtle step of sin. Which is then our heart is stirred. What he said is he said, I saw him, but then he also said, I coveted. He said, I saw this gold. I saw this silver. I saw these rubies. I saw these garments. I saw it all. And I wanted it. I had to have it. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now the Living Bible says, Temptation is the pull of a man's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions. What we have to be aware of is that we have something inside of us and it's called a deceived, deprived heart. And that deceived, deprived heart, unless we are constantly pinpointing the problems, we are constantly falling to them. We will see something. And then we will want it. It will consume us. Call it impulsive buying. Call it anything else out there. Call it relationships that are not in order. Call it we all, as some people have said, we all have a price tag. What's your price tag? Because your price tag will determine the value placed on your character. If you have a very low price tag, it's really easy for you to slip into some moral, unethical situation. If you can be tempted at the first glance, if you can be sucked in in a heartbeat, then your price tag's pretty low. And you know what? The value in your character is pretty low as well. One of our greatest statesmen, George Washington, our first president, said this, Few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. We can easily succumb. If we are not careful, I can easily succumb if I am not careful. I, the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The person who thinks he's got it whipped and figured out, get ready. You're about to fall on your face. Number three, what happens in this subtle slipping into sin? He saw, he coveted, he took. The hands take action. He got in there and he took it. And whatever that means, for each one of us, we have to be very well. Where you, you know Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, and the progression of sin. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the, uh, in, in, the, in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the mockers. It's kind of progressive, you notice that? First of all, you're walking. You see something. It's unethical, it's immoral, it's not what God wanted. It compromises your character, your integrity will be, will be put on, on the line. And you're just walking by it, and you don't think much of it, but yet it kind of lingers there. Man, that looked enticing. And then you stand in and you look at it. You go back to it. You walk around it. 
And you think about it. I, I can, I can, I can, I'd love to have that, but I can't. I can't. And you walk away, but then you just kind of look back again. You go back and you pick it up. It could be anything. You pick it up. Get it. And say, that feels good. It feels right. I want this. And you take it. Be very aware of the subtlety that will compromise your character and send you into a downfall. Tim Scott Peck, famous physician, psychiatrist, who wrote The Road Less Traveled. It was his first book, but it was not his last book. He wrote many books, but The Road Less Traveled is one that most people know about. It was sold six million copies, translated into 20 different languages. But in one of his books, he made this statement. He said, we are all born narcissists. And that learning to grow out of our narcissism is at the heart of the spiritual journey. Think about that. We are all born narcissists. And at the very beginning, and this is not written from a Christian perspective necessarily. This is a doctor, this is a psychiatrist who's saying that we have to be aware of our own fallen state. Realize that, number one. Number two, evaluate the damage. Okay, so the character has fallen. I've slipped up. I've made a mistake. I, nobody else knows about that. It's in the hidden places of my heart. What's going to happen? What's going to be the fallout? Nobody ever find out. That's the lies that we get told inside of our heart, inside of our head. Nobody will find out. It really won't matter. The kids won't find out. The, my wife won't find out. The boss won't find out. They're a long ways away. Beware. This is probably one of those powerful statements I've ever heard. I've remembered it for years and years and years. And get it down. It's a life principle. Your abilities may take you where your character can't keep you. Your abilities to lead and to move and shape and to make and create and innovate. You may have all the skills that everybody would ever hope to have for a particular set of job description that you have now. You are the prototype. But your character won't allow you to stay. Every one of the people that I mentioned in the beginning of this message were people extremely gifted. Bernie Madoff being one of the latest ones. Leader of NASDAQ. How did that happen? It didn't happen by mistake. He was very, very attuned to finances. He understands the markets better than most of us. But yet his character was his downfall. Beware. Three ways that sin and character sell us short in this world. Number one, it will deter your future. It will deter your future. If you look at verse 12 uh, of this chapter, it, um, it says this, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They've been beaten now. They can't go forward. They can't move forward. They have been beaten down. It will deter your future. Number two, it will dampen your morale. Look at, look at verse, verse 5, the last part of verse 5 and following. It says, And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. You talk about a morale problem in the camp now. They went from fame and fortune and to success to now their hearts were not even solid. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth and his face before the, before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders 
uh, of Israel, and they put dust in their heads. Now, this is how morale-sunken they were. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us in the hands of the Amorites to to destroy us? Now, listen to this next statement, because it is huge. Would that we had not been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. I want to stop there. That came to me on Friday afternoon. I was sitting in my office reading that passage and I and I thought, wow. When your character isn't in place, second best becomes good enough. They were God wouldn't it have been better for us to just be content back on the other side of the Jordan. When your character isn't in place, you sell yourself for a cheap imitation. You sell yourself looking over at the promised land instead of living in the promised land. Be very, very aware that it will dampen the morale. You know, one of the things that keeps me clean, and I tell you right now, I'm not perfect in any sense of the word. I want to emphasize the word clean. Because I, I want, I do not want to stand before you or to live before you or to walk before you with unconfessed, unrepentant of, blatant sin. And it is the awareness that you have a trust level in me. There's an element of trust that you would even be here week after week. That we would be in relationship. And it is that heightened level of trust that I don't want to put on an altar I don't want to sacrifice. That's one of, the, one of the things that keeps me clean. I don't want to see my children, see my name in the paper, because I'm a fallen leader. I don't want to be a has-been. I don't want my children to say, second best is good enough. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 18 says, One sinner destroys much good. Ecclesiastes 9.18 One sinner destroys much good. Number three, what happens when you're evaluating the damage is destroy your body and your spirit. Verse 25, So Joshua sent the messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in the tent, the silver underneath, just as he said. Oh, excuse me, I need to be down to verse 25. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble to us? The Lord brings trouble uh, on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. This is what happened to Achan. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Now, now this is a sad story. I know it is. Then the Lord turned from the burning of anger. And therefore to this day, this name, the name of this place is called the Valley of Achor. Valley of Suffering. You think about that. The legacy of Achan will be the legacy of compromise. Of a shortened character. Achan's sin killed 26 men and humiliated the nation. Abraham's sin in Egypt almost cost him his wife. David's sin led to the death of 70,000 people. 
Jonah's refusal to obey God nearly sunk a ship. We need to count the cost before we pay that cheapened price that will compromise our character. Evaluate the damage. Number three, when you look at character and how leadership is so much driven by leaders and our business and companies are so much driven by leaders, and I know that we fall and we know we stumble, but what happens? How does a nation get back on track? How does a team get back on track? How does a company get back on track? How does a church get back on track? You refocus your life. There needs to be a refocusing of our, of our life. And you look at verse 13 and, and, and 14 and, and how they're going to come back around and they're going to get back on track. And Here's two ways to refocus your life. Number one, get up and get out. Get up and get out. If you realize that you are the one who's created the sin, you need to get up, it says in verse 13, get up and consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. So all of a sudden they're at this fallen state. They're at the bottom of the barrel. Their their morale is gone. Everything is falling apart in their eyes. And, 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 And the Lord comes in and He says, listen, get up and consecrate yourself. I say get up and get out. Get out of the sin. Get out of the mire. Get out of the filth. Get up and get your life clean. Today, don't wait. Get it right today. Don't hesitate. Do it. Consecrate yourself means to become clean. Get get right with God. Get right with your spouse. Get right with your, your boss. Get right with the team. Get right with whoever it is you need to get right with. If your offenses go in big circles, then you need to go get right with the big circle. If your offense is against one person, go get right with that one person. Just get right. Consecrate yourselves. A British general in, in, in the Second World War said this, We must teach our men to hate. Because what men hate, they will kill. We must teach ourselves to hate sin, to hate compromise, to hate the things that God hates. Because what we hate, we will kill. But what we play with, dabble in, love, nurture, flirt with, become a part of us. Acts 13 Acts 3.19 said like this, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's how you get right with God. That's how the refreshment comes. Is whenever there is this cleansing and we get up and we get out of this, maybe, maybe it's a mindset that you have. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a rut that you're in. Maybe it's a cycle. You name it. Fill in the blank. Give it a name. Just get up. And quickly and swiftly move away. Number two, be open and honest. Be open and honest. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Jeremiah 23, 24 says. Can anybody really hide from me? That, that, that secret place of the heart that I said that nobody else knows about? That secret place, if you really believe in a living, breathing God, he is fully aware of it. Jeremiah 16, 16. My eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor is their sin concealed from my eyes. Ecclesiastes 12, 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every 
hidden thing, whether it is good or it is evil. You know, when it comes to this Global Leadership Summit that we're going to have, and I know that some people said, I don't, I don't lead, I don't, I'm not a business guy, I'm not a whatever, and I'm just a homemaker, or I'm just a, I teach my kids, and all that kind of stuff. You know, one of the things I want you to understand about leadership is leadership doesn't start when you have a position, when you have all these people reporting to you. Leadership starts with yourself. If you can't lead self, you can't lead others. And the ins and outs of leadership are pure and simple. Is my character in place? If I can't lead myself, I can't lead others. Parade Magazine did an interview of Billy Graham back in 1996. The time that when he was 77 years old and was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Now, Billy Graham today is pretty much off the scene. He's alive, but Franklin Graham and his family speaks on his behalf and and his, his life is definitely fading from scene. But in that parade magazine, it said this, and I had a copy of it, and I copied, took this quote out. It said that when they asked, the interviewer asked, what do you want to be remembered by? You think I think about Billy Graham and all the influence that he said. He said that I was faithful to what God called me to do. That I maintained my integrity in every area of my life. And that I lived what I preached. Billy Graham preached to more people on this earth than Jesus Christ did. Billy Graham was the most successful evangelist that this world has ever known. I mean, media has helped. Internet, television, obviously. He's got his word into countries where nobody else could go. But he did not want to be known for his crusades and the tens and millions of people who came to know him. He wanted to be known for his character for His faithfulness, for His integrity. And maybe that's why God used Him so mightily. Would you bow your heads with me? Get really, really still. You may want to just bury your hands and your, your face in your hands. You, you can just sit there quietly. You can whatever. I want to ask you a few questions as you sit there in the stillness of your own heart. I want to ask you these questions. As you think about your character, here's the first question What would you be remembered for if the secrets of your life? were made known. What would you be remembered for if the secrets of your life were made known? Another question. Does your private life match your public life? Another question. Is there anything hidden in your life right this minute that if known would damage the very witness of God the wholeness of your business or the reputation of your family and you know I don't I have one more question but as your heads are bowed as surely as I ask these questions 
If you are having things, issues, attitudes, cycles, relationships flash before you and burn in your mind and in your heart, these are the things that must be made right. One more question. Is there any area of your character that keeps you from being whole in your whole character? Get up, get out. Be open, be honest. Father, In the silence of this moment, in the depths of our heart, may your spirit be speaking to our spirit. And confirming or convicting whatever your spirit must do. But Lord, may we know today that nothing is hidden from You. That there is accountability. And that You work in the circumstances of life to raise up people. And You work to bring people down. And Father, if You choose to reign on me with my life and my my character intact and never not everything work out the way I would like it, then so be it. But God forbid that it would be my shortage of character that I would settle. That I would be content on the other side of the Jordan when you want to take me If it's an attitude, if it's an action, if it's a perspective, if it's a value or a lack thereof, if it's a decision, if it's the way we handle our money, if it's the way we don't handle our money, if it's, if it's my relationship with my spouse, if it's in any area of our life, Lord, that our character is not fully, completely Yours and the, Your beauty is being radiated through it, God forbid, and help us now to be whole with You. Lord, thank You for showing us grace and mercy. But also thank You for for showing us Your justice and holiness. We can live, I pray, to a higher standard where character really does matter. Lord, we ask that You would be with us in this moment, even as we give. For Your glory and Your honor. In Jesus' name.